Hello, everybody. Welcome back to North Idaho Now. This is episode 67 for September 21st. Chance Watson and Josh McDonald bring you the news today. Josh, who's sponsoring us today? This episode is brought to you by the Wallace Chamber of Commerce and their Fall for History Festival. Make sure not to miss the 2021 Fall for History Festival. This year's Fall for History Festival in Wallace includes a hop-on, hop-off bus tour of local historical sites, a guided bus tour of Burke, and an upstairs apartment tour. With many mining-themed events, this year's festival will be fun for everyone. For Fall for History reservations and other information, contact the Historic Wallace Chamber at 208-753-7151 or visit wallaceid.fun. Sponsored in part by the Idaho Humanities Council, the National Endowment for the Humanities, and the Frank A. Morback Trust with support from Dave Smith, GMC. All right. That'll be an exciting event coming up That's here a soon. a fun festival. I've sat in on a couple different things throughout uh, the last, I think they've done it for three years now. Mm -hmm. Um, I think they even pulled it off during the pandemic last year. I think they did too. It might have been one of the few things that they were able to do. Yeah, they just did a socially distanced version. The the first round of the pandemic anyway. Yeah, yeah. Pandemic part. We're in in revenge of COVID now. Revenge of the sickness. Revenge of the sickness. Yeah. Not getting down with it, but... Oh, we're down with the sickness. We're down with the sickness. Yeah. And then uh, episode three, Attack of the Vax. Oh, I like that. (laughs) Vax attacks. Just learn you can always apply something to Star Wars. Yeah, absolutely. 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 That that brings back. Josh, what's going on? Oh, man, it was a a banner weekend. We had... uh, I I live in this nebulous now where... uh, where my football weekends start on Thursday night, mm. the Thursday night football game. Okay. And then Friday, I get high school football. Okay. And then Saturday, I get some little kid football in the morning, okay. followed by copious amounts of college football. Sure. Sunday, obviously, Sundays are for the boys. Sure. Uh, and by boys, I mean my fantasy football league. Right. Copious <laughs> amounts of NFL football, uh, which if you don't have NFL Red Zone, who we're not sponsored by, you're missing out. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and then Monday is Monday night football. Um, so you've been all about the football coming on. Uh, it, it's, is it is it good to be back? Is it good to be back into football season? So nice. Okay. And it's so nice. Like, I know we're still dealing with pandemic stuff, but when you watch games like Saturday night's Auburn-Penn State whiteout game, mm-hmm. and you see the crowd, and they're losing their minds, and they're just having a good time. It's good to see people happy. I. It is good to see people happy. I really enjoy In fact, I, I was just talking about this with somebody the other day, but honestly, like, a lot of my interests and whatnot have been derived basically just because like I want, I like when people are all having a good time. So I got to learn, I got to learn like the sport or the activity or something so I can be a part of it and we yeah. can all, we can all join in on something. So, yeah. So, so I just had a steady, a steady diet of football. Gotcha. Well, uh, I have hockey coming up soon. Um, I just recently learned that I'm going to the uh, Seattle Kraken preseason game in Spokane. I am very excited about that. Uh, unfortunately, my jersey's not getting here until like November. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they're on back order. If you're, if anybody, if any, if we have any Seattle listeners who want to uh, pick up a jersey and send it to me, I venture to say that what a, jump into the DMs, a men's, uh, an adult men's smaller medium. 
is probably one of the most in-demand sizes out there. So you're- it depends on the it. So like, if you want the actual like athletic one, so, size small and mediums, like because they're they're built for the pads underneath. Right. Uh, but if you actually want like just a wearable one, they like a, a medium will fit me just fine. Yeah. So you're probably looking at a pretty. I'm probably SOL. Pretty healthy weight. I was just hoping to have one for the game, but that's probably not going to happen at this point. But that's okay. I'm excited for uh, to see that. I'm excited for the Kraken to actually be in existence. Um, as we get closer to it, I've been seeing more and more uh, Seattle Kraken stuff like around, like people wearing hats and jerseys and stuff. So that's pretty exciting. It too. is a cool logo. It is very cool. They did a good job with it. I'm pretty happy about it. Honestly, I will wait with bated breath mm-hmm. to see if, uh, uh, they, they have a saint, the similar mm-hmm. start out as the golden Knights did back when they had their inaugural season. What? 2019, 18. Yeah. So, so on a, on a separate podcast, uh, I had this conversation with somebody else and, basically for those who don't know nothing about hockey just you can you can practice these little tips and then you'll sound like an expert uh the kraken are essentially for better or for worse are two second lines and two third lines they don't have a they do not have any stars but they also don't have any bad fourth liners it is it is a it is like a b plus team from front to back which can be very good or very you know there's no clutch person that's gonna you know there's no Tom Brady on this team. You, you can't spell balance without B plus a little extra. There. <laughs> hey, um, speaking of awesome uniforms. No. <laughs> Do not segue. The Space that. Force this morning announced uh, their their new uniforms, and I'm getting their intent to. I'm getting serious Rebel Scum vibes. Yeah. Yeah, they announced their intentions of creating a of destroying, uh, super laser. Of destroying Alderaan. Yeah. <laughs> Good night. Yeah. Um, if if anybody's listening to this and you're curious what we're talking about, please please look it up. It's like a what, what do you call that? A single breasted? Like how it just goes over to one yeah. side? It's a single breasted, but like multiple buttons, like so many buttons. Like so many buttons. Yeah. Uh <laughs> And I bet if you uh, jump now, you can be part of the first order of those uniforms. Or you could be with the with the mobile. You could be just you could join up with the mobile infantry. I'm doing my part. Yeah, my gosh. And if you join today, you can be a citizen too. Service guarantees citizenship. People don't realize how satirical that that (laughs) movie is. Um, In fact, most people will watch it because they think it's a campy 90s sci-fi action movie. They don't understand the tongue-in-cheekness of everything. It's so tongue-in-cheek. And it's just so bad. It's so bad it's good. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of those movies that are so bad they're good. Yeah. I watched a So Bad It's Good movie last night. What did you watch? From Dust Till Dawn. Oh, okay. With George Clooney and Quentin Tarantino mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Selma Hayek being as foxy as she's ever been. <laughs> okay. Before turning into a hor- horrifying lizard vampire. Oh. Have you ever seen this? I have not seen this movie, no. So it's the story of these two brothers and they just robbed a bank and they're driving down the road. And they're trying to, you know, outrun the law and get to Mexico where they stumble upon this this family. And uh, 
the family is going to smuggle them across the border in this RV. And it's a dad and his two kids. Okay. So they get into Mexico and he, he tells the dad, all right, take them to this bar. Uh, for anyone who's ever seen the bar, they're probably laughing. I'm not going to say the name on the, on okay. the air. They go to this bar and this bar is like, it's like kind of like a castle. Mm-hmm. You see it from the outside. It's a castle and you're like, what? Uh, but it's like the ultimate dive of dives. And it's got like this kind of like rock, uh, mariachi band. Danny Trejo's the bartender. Uh, Cheech Marin is like the, like the bar regular that everyone knows and kind of calls out. What's everyone going on. knows your name. Yeah. Um, but then after everyone's drinking, mm-hmm. all the people who are like bar regulars, mm-hmm. the bartender, mm-hmm. the dancers, mm-hmm. the, the band, mm-hmm. they all are revealed to be these like vampire monsters. Whoa. And it's plot twist. Yeah. What a twist. It's like, it's, it's a Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez. Oh, okay. One of the wackiness. Those. Yeah. Yeah. So then they have to fight their way out. And the two brothers are Tarantino and George Clooney. Mm-hmm. Um, Tarantino dies, gets turned into a vampire. Okay. So George Clooney and uh, the daughter of the the, the father and the, the family are the only two survivors. Daughter's played by Juliette Lewis. Uh, it's, it's hilarious. Okay. And then you find out that the bar is built on the top part of an Aztec temple that's mm-hmm. buried in the back. Hey, did you did you <laughs> did you so end up campy. did you end up watching that documentary? I haven't watched it. Oh, yet. Josh, come on! This is it's so right up your alley. The the um, it's crimes and penalties or something like that. It's about the 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 trashers. Um, this crazy story about a mob boss who bought his seventeen year old son a hockey team. And I, right. It's, it looks, it looks bonkers. It's not that I haven't watched it cause I don't want to. It's it, the last fact night. that the fact that this kid had like the rock and China and, um, the undertaker, like all these people were at this, like kids, 13 year old birthday party. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's impressive. Yeah. It, it definitely looks off the wall. Um, it's on my list. I think the only reason I didn't watch that last night and watch that movie is because my wife wanted to watch something that was a little scarier. Okay. I wanted something with action. A little more reverent. So yeah. we, we met in the middle with I see that uh, Robert Rodriguez vampire uh, flick. Okay. I got it. Uh, real quick. Another one of us really watched uh, the Emmys. Um, All I know is that honestly, show, Ted Lasso is apparently God's gift to comedy. Apparently, sounds like it. I know The Crown did well. I haven't seen The Crown, but I've heard good things. Um, I know Conan was was awarded something, and the, I see the okay. And this is morbid, very morbid. But so the part that I did watch, um, it was just on on a TV that I was nearby, and we had just came on to the in memoriam section. There are so many actors and directors and writers and stuff that died last year. And it like, like I forgot, like, like RIP Cloris Leachman, like that, that one hit. Like, yeah. I was like, oh no. Yeah. Betty White's the last golden girl. And she'll probably outlive all of us. Make it all the way to being a platinum girl mm-hmm. for too long. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was old when she was in that show. Yep. Yep. Norm Norm McDonald. Yeah. Poor guy. Had 60 61. Apparently he smoked like a chimney, but um Marco Polo. <laughs> That's all I can ever think of. With that me. guy is that guy was a gift to comedy. I I swear he he never held any punches. I know it's it's back I mean he was edgy 
back when stuff was edgy, you know, yeah. like now nowadays it's being edgy is not that unique anymore in, in the days of, you know, Anthony Jeselnik and that kind of thing. But, right. you know, back in the day when he's, you know, at an award show willing to make fun of OJ right in the heart of the OJ situation um, that takes, you know, he was definitely a comedian that I thought was either like everything is funny or nothing is funny. And he always went for the former. Uh, yeah, he he tended to uh, blur some lines for sure. <laughs> for sure, yeah. as def- but he's he's definitely gonna be one of my favorite comedians. Um, God, there's but I think that was about it. I didn't necessarily get anything out. I'm realizing that I'm behind on my actors and actresses a lot. There was a lot of faces and names that I just did not know. Um. They had the guy up there from speaking of movies where they get into RVs and smuggle across the border. What's that one with Jennifer Aniston? Oh yeah, we're the Millers with yeah. Jason Sudeikis. Yeah, so he was up there. I don't know if he won something. Yeah, or he, he was won just... best actor. He he's Ted Lasso. Oh okay. Yeah, he won best uh, actor in a comedy for for Ted Lasso, and that's the story of a. It's like a disgraced American football coach who goes to England to take a football coaching job i remember this movie yeah it turns out to be a soccer Mm because it's foot foot, football right um and 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 obviously the hijinks sure ensue is it any good uh, i haven't well i don't have tv okay um all i know is uh, i have yet to encounter anything that jason sudeikis has done that i haven't liked he's in he's in some good stuff he is absolutely hilarious in saturday night live um horrible bosses is super funny mm-hmm. both of them mm-hmm. uh we're the millers is the one it's you're a, talking that's a funny about. movie is yeah. another hilarious movie with ironically similar context to what i watched when last the night. when the when the i keep a very a very small like emergency supply of movies in my house when uh, the when the when the internet goes out from sudden link shout out to simon miller on our last episode talking about sudden link yeah um it didn't go out i'm not that's not a shot at you simon um but uh yeah, we, I always keep a – and that's one of the three or four. It's not that I hold it in high regard. It's just one of the movies that I somehow have for some reason. I don't know why. Left o- Leftover from a, a different life, I guess. It's, it's a good one. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, a, it's a regular watcher in my house. In fact, in fact, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we're the Millers. Mm-hmm. I was watching that this morning. Oh, are you really? Yeah. That's funny. Uh, because I laughed at the part where uh, the kid – wraps the yeah the don't go chasing waterfall this might be the that might be the problem with me though is like you i can't casually watch movies like if i'm gonna turn on a movie that is a commitment i will watch the movie from start to finish oh. i can't i can't start a movie and then come back to it it ruins the immersion oh yeah i i'm just a i'll throw something on that I've seen a million times. I'll search for 20 minutes to find something. That well, I'll do that seen. for shows. Do I'll, that for TV I'll shows. I'll do that for movies okay. just to have something that I feel comfortable taking a nap with it That's in the fair. background. That's fair. Okay. Um, last thing before we go into headlines. Uh, I am very stoked for Dune. Um, and reading the reviews, apparently I have to now find a way to get into a movie theater to see this movie. I have. <laughs> I'm, I... The director is like, you're not like, you're why, why would he like, even like tongue in cheek is like, why would you watch this on a small screen? I am looking forward to it. I remember the first time they tried to make it and it was terrible. And then how dare you besperch the name of Patrick Stewart in that terrible Dune movie. (laughs) Then they made the miniseries. Uh Uh-huh. Sci-fi made the miniseries, which was actually quite good. Yeah. 
Um, and now this one. What's now- what sci-fi? What the sci- the old sci-fi channel lacked in budget, they made up for in decent acting and storytelling. Yeah, and hey, we're gonna make as make it as long there, as we need to. Hey, man, there's still a reason people watch old reruns of Stargate SG One. Uh, miniseries, the concepts are way better than limited TV shows mm. and movie uh, movies because mm. that 90 minute runtime they try to cram so much into. But uh, I've heard I've heard good things from people. I've heard good things about the new Dune from people that matter. I like that. Um, from the people that like your normal reviewers, because yeah. it's already been early I've, reviewed, I've right? I've seen some people on Facebook that I know that I'm going to say definitely don't matter. Okay, who I'll have, say it's it's who have besmirched it because there might be one detail from the book that wasn't in there, and it they're, they're just refusing to get right. Past and it. you just can't. You can, I as somebody who tries to read books before, like I already told you that I picked up a copy of Dune, and I'm trying to get through it. It's it's a rough read. I'm not going to lie. Uh, the Lord of the Rings books are the same way. Yeah. Well, I never read the Lord of the Rings books. Yeah, they're... I'm current... It might be because I'm spoiled right now. I'm listening to all the Bosch books on audiobook. I can listen to books. I have to hold And Michael Connelly is just... I mean, he's so fluid with... Short and succinct by, while still telling a story. Well, but he... I mean, like, he still builds a world with it. Like, you know what Bosch is and what he's doing and everything. Okay. Last thing on that recommending... You got to watch Bosch yes. as something. It's not it as somebody who watched every season of Bosch and then now is listening to the books They borrow elements and inspiration from the books, but it's definitely not a book for book shot for shot remake. Right. They combine they, multiple they stories, combine multiple stories and elements. Um, characters are like the combination of certain characters. They create a couple characters. Netflix is doing a limited run of the Lincoln lawyer right now, too. Really? Because there's like six different Lincoln lawyer books now. And oh, okay, tell me this: when does when does it revealed that Bosch is related to the Lincoln Lawyer? I believe it was like the second or third book. I haven't read that so far. I'm in the. Th- I actually think they talk about it in the first book, but it's kind of just glossed over. But oh, I think they. I'm really- in the fourth book right now, and no, he's- in the first Lincoln Lawyer book. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. they're only half brothers, and it's really by mom or by dad. By dad. Oh. Yeah. Oh, the rich guy that's on his deathbed. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. All right. We'll have to we'll have to pick up that conversation later. Yeah. But uh, lots of lots of recommendations on the show today. Yes. All right. If you're looking for a refreshing locally made beer, blah, 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 blah. if you're looking for a refreshing locally made beer, check out Radio Brewing at 319 Main Street in Uptown Kellogg. The tap room is open seven days a week. They offer delicious craft beer and awesome snack and food options. To learn more about Radio Brewing, uh, Radio Brewing, visit RadioBrewingCompany.com. Radio Brewing, but radio. In your mouth hole. Moving ahead to Coeur d'Alene headlines first for Saturday, September 18th. Headline, all eyes on NIC. This is by Hannah Neff. Uh, email between Coeur d'Alene, North Idaho college trustees might explain why President Rick McLennan was not fired as expected last month. According to the email acquired through public information requests and direct contact, board members might face personal financial risk should they terminate the college's president without legitimate cause. Trustee Christy Wood said she believed board chair Todd Banducci's reckless actions regarding McLennan's contract could have consequences not just for the college, but for the board members as well. Quote, I have felt for quite some time that trustee Banducci's actions have put the college at risk for litigation, Wood wrote in an email to the press on Tuesday. Trustees can be personally sued as well. 
Action on renewal of McLennan's contract has been on the meeting agenda since August 4th, tabled in that meeting as well as on the August 26th and August 31st meetings. The matter is tabled again until Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, the the next board meeting, at the earliest. In an August 27th email to the board, Wood wrote that she believed Banducci, the board chair, intended to take action to remove McLennan. Wood requested the board meet with the college's insurance carrier, Idaho County's Risk Management Program, ICRIMP for short, uh, for consultation before taking any board action. In an August 30th email to Panducci and the board, Wood wrote that ICRIMP attorney said Banducci personally rejected the organization's offer to advise the board on the president's contract. Quote, through your reckless actions, board members could very likely face personal finance, financial risk as well as asset risk to the institution, Wood wrote in the same email. It's outrageous you reject legal advice on behalf of the board, of our insurance carrier, and our own college attorney. In a second email on August 30th, Wood said Banducci refused Icrimp's offer to meet with the board to discuss the president's contract, which Banducci refuted. Quote, you're incorrect in your assertion slash fact. Banducci responded in an email. Scott Olbham, claims, uh, claims manager at Icrimp, told the press that it's possible that board members might be personally financially responsible when Icrimp has paid out. Quote, there could be instances, Olbham said. ICRIMP does not insure for every eventuality. Olbham said every case is compared individually against the policy and the coverage determination is made based on allegations made in that individual lawsuit. Quote, if there is a wrongful discharge and President McLennan is successful, then ICRIMP would have to pay the judgment under most circumstances, trustee Ken Howard said. According to the employment contract with McLennan, if majority of the board elects to terminate the president without cause, NIC agrees to pay the president 12 months of salary and benefits or the remainder of the term of the contract, whichever is less. McLennan's contract has about a year and a half remaining. His annual base salary, $218,325. Decent chunk of change. The contract also spells out what could constitute dismissal for cause? Ah, uh, boy, that's, I mean, there's a lot of layers to this, and it, it goes back to a saga that the Coeur d'Alene Press has been covering for a while now. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, it goes into the, uh, the president's, you know, act, uh, order to have masks and the board's decision to not have those. Um, I don't know. I, I think, uh, I think there's definitely a. I, I've made it very clear on the show that I'm I'm much more in favor of of max uh, vaccines. That's not a thing, uh, vaccines rather than uh, universal mask mandates. Because I mostly just because one's more effective in my opinion than the other, um, just from a logical standpoint. But that being said, um, I it's not the reason to fight just because you don't agree with him. Like it's he was already voted out. Like he, or he was overruled. Like his, his really, that's the whole point of this. Like if he, the president does something you disagree with, it goes back to the board and the board, if it, there's enough votes there, then you can overrule the president. No reason to fire the guy. Some serious sore loser vibes. Sure. On, on both sides. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Um, and also a little bit of a political grandstanding, yeah. which is something, yeah. unfortunately, we have kind of grown accustomed to. Again, these are positions that shouldn't be political. Yeah, we've, but we've grown kind of accustomed to this happening over, particularly in Kootenai County mm. over the last year and a half, mm. which 
uh, you, they can be as upset with us as possible. We have to call it like we see it. Mm-hmm. And, and what we're seeing right now is, is kind of interesting mm-hmm. for lack of a, uh, for lack of a better term, for yeah. lack of a less. I, just, I, I think, I think term. for as, as an NIC alum, I, I don't like the fact that there's this instability at mm-hmm. the college. Um, it's, it's better when the board is, even if they are disagreeing, it needs to be done in a civil manner. Coeur d'Alene is better when NIC is running smoothly. Yes, yeah. very much. And I, Coeur d'Alene could be better if NIC was growing and expanding yeah. and, you know, sure. and I think that's a good thing for the college and it's a good thing for Coeur d'Alene. I, you know, you could, you could make an argument in the future that Coeur d'Alene is deserving of a four-year college. Yeah, um, it's got the makeup of a town. That yeah, do it could years. it could easily do it. You know, if if Moscow can host the University of Idaho, Coeur d'Alene can host one for sure. Absolutely. Um, now, is is that NIC? I don't I don't know. I don't know if it's. I mean, the ground. I suppose the groundwork is there, but um, at the same time, I don't know. I, I feel like the the town would be ready for something like that. But when you've got, uh, for lack of a better term, this. JV kind of stuff going on with your leadership where it's just finger pointing. And you know, reg- again, regardless of you take the situation out of it, you As know, a JV coach, I take great offense to that offense. To okay. What you just said, okay. All right. But I digress. Hey, it's a great time to sell your house because inventory is low. And Julie's look with silver legacy realty is a lifelong resident of the silver Valley. She's a local realtor who is well-connected and knows every nook and cranny of our beautiful community. Contact Julie at two zero eight six five nine one seven six four. She's your best friend in real estate. All right. Moves us into Sunday, September 19th headlines. Anita Johnson, writer, publisher, warrior for, for free press. It's by LA Goldman Hilbert. Journalist Anita Johnson, 92, good for her, still writes regularly for the Eugene Weekly newspaper. The co-owner and publisher of the alternative publication, she started her illustrations career right here in the Coeur d'Alene Press back in 1946. Growing up in Coeur d'Alene, Johnson always knew she wanted to write. She worked on the uh, the paper published at the Coeur d'Alene High School. At that time, it was only only high school. It was the only high school in town, about 10,000 people. Quote, I just really loved it, Johnson said. I liked to write, and I knew I wanted to make a living writing, and she has. During college, she worked at the press during her summer's home and on holiday breaks. Her boss was Dwayne Hagedon's father, Burl. Johnson remembers that Chuck Souter, the editor at the time, wrote, quote, wrote most of the paper single-handedly. He was totally amazing, Johnson said. Johnson started by covering, quote, little local stories, which she enjoyed. One of her first assignments was a small plane crash that had happened near Coeur d'Alene. Louise Shattuck, former editor of the Lifestyle section and member of the Idaho Hall of Fame, took, on her, on, took her on that assignment. Quote, there was still a dead body in there, Johnson said. She recalled it being quite the shock. I thought, I don't want to do this kind of reporting, she said. Nevertheless, she stuck with it and worked on on the University of Oregon student paper, The Daily Emerald. After college, she had an opportunity to join the Washington Post staff. While there, she covered, quote, Sunday and women's feature stories, mostly written about and for women. That's really cool, actually. Uh, Quote, when I left the Post, the managing editor said, it's too bad you're leaving. We wanted you to become an expert, our expert on Jacqueline Bovier. Mm Mm-hmm. Bovier, as President John F. Kennedy was just preparing to propose, she said. Johnson and her husband, Art, who had been a law student at Harvard, returned to Oregon. The duo connected with Fred Taylor, a former Wall Street Journal editor, and purchased the Eugene Weekly, which was Johnson still uh, still co- which Johnson still co-owned. The Eugene Weekly is a mixture of alternative and standard journalism, Johnson said. Quote, it's a little snarky. 
Uh, on the ongoing column called The Slant is a series of one-paragraph editorials. A popular columnist, Johnson, is usually responsible for five or six of them weekly. Quote, people like short, short takes, I think, she said. The Eugene Weekly aspires, among many things, to challenge the status quo, ask the hard questions, and support, quote, unfettered artistic expression. With a lifelong commitment to the art of journalism, Johnson passionately believes investigative journalism is, quote, critical, and that, quote, democracy cannot survive without free press. And for Johnson herself, she was featured prominently in a recent issue of Editor and Publisher magazine, which was, which named her one of the 15 most influential journalists in the nation over 50 years. But at the foundation of it all is the city by the lake. Quote, Coeur d'Alene was a wonderful place to grow up, Johnson said. Good for her. Hats off. I think uh, I might have to be uh, getting a subscription to the Daily Emerald. Mm-hmm. Is that what it's, or is that, what is that called? The Daily Emerald was the Oregon paper. Once yes. Heard the Eugene, what is it? The Eugene Daily? Eugene Weekly News. Eugene, Eugene Weekly. I'm yeah. i have to look into that because mm-hmm. someone who's that influential in our industry might be worth just getting very familiar with their work. That could be interesting. Moving ahead to Monday, September 20th. Kids explore tons of trucks and emergency vehicles by Hannah Neff. Fire trucks, police cars, dump trucks, cement trucks, tow trucks, and more. Despite the rain, crowds of kids came out. And to look and learn during the Meet the Machines at Kootenai County Fairgrounds on Saturday morning. I was in Kootenai County, just a sidebar. I saw this going on and could not figure out what was going on as I drove up government way to get coffee before my kid's football game. I thought there was some sort of like police training exercise going on. There were cranes. There were like armored SWAT vehicles. Like I was like either something bad is happening right now Mm -hmm. or something really cool is happening. And I'm just not aware of it. Uh, James Marrer, a French teacher at Lake city high school said the event started off as a fundraiser for the French club. Quote, we decided to combine it with sources of strength to do something nice and fun for the community. Marrer said, I just, I really just wanted to do something fun. Sources of strength, color run a fundraiser for the Coeur d'Alene school district, high schools and middle schools also ran from 9am to 1pm at the fairgrounds. Marrer said the machinery display was created as a chance for kids of all ages to see the insides of the vehicles and learn more about the equipment and the people who operate them. Quote, it's important for law enforcement and the community to be close knit. Idaho state trooper Brian Mashtar said, we need the community's help as much as they need ours. Mashtar said troopers really appreciate when people stop and help on the roadside as community members are often the first on scene of an accident. Quote, I just think it's really important for us to be as close to the community as possible so that they can be safe, Mashtar said. We try and get out and do as much community outreach as we can. Four-year-old Logan Abbey and his brother Cade, age three, were interested in learning how to operate the tow truck crane. Quote, they're just excited about seeing all the big trucks, said mom Laura Abbey of Post Falls. It's kind of cool that the machine operators are all friendly and willing to show them all about the trucks. Joe Andrews, a tow truck operator, said he was happy to let the kids control a couple of the buttons and ask questions about how the equipment worked. Quote, I want the kids to realize there's more out there than video games, and all this stuff is very exciting, Andrews said. They get to see what the real stuff is. I like I So we've, we've covered, you and I have covered a couple of these uh, when libraries hold them or something. They're super cool. Yeah. I like um, these events. I, I used to, when I was a kid, I would love these kind of things. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Touch a truck and that kind of thing. Yeah. If it didn't have a ball, I wasn't really paying much attention oh, to it. Oh, I'm Josh. I only did sports. Yeah. I'm really glad that's the way you went there. Because you could have gone. I, I could have, but I didn't. You should have. Because this is, this, is a, this is a PG show, Josh. 
Sometimes jumping into PG-13, but sometimes mostly PG. <laughs> mostly. PG by 80 standards? <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> we were... <laughs> You did uh, the, the last episode I did with Madison. We burned through it and got to the end. And we're like, we didn't use our single cuss word, Madison. She's like, well, that's good. Next time, I'll remember that if I fuck up. And she, <laughs> I'm like, ah, okay, oh, there it is. She, you went hard with it, Madison. Okay. Wow. <laughs> I pr- I gained so much respect for her right there. That would do it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Moving on, Tuesday, September 21st, COVID cases climbing. The number of COVID-19 cases in North Idaho increased 151 over the weekend, but a bigger surge is actually taking place, with younger victims adding to the toll. According to Catherine Hoyer, Panhandle Health District spokeswoman, they're actually seeing about 300 cases a day, but staff can't keep up with the processing. She said Monday about 900 cases are unprocessed. Quote, some days we're not able to process all of those due to the backlog of cases that we've been experiencing, but the backlog of cases is really over the course of the last three days, Hoyer said. So we do feel like we're reporting is an accurate assessment of what's really happening in our community. Hoyer said that without said without any mitigation steps taken, case numbers are expected to continue upward. Quote, if our community continues not to mask, to not receive the vaccine, to not do any of the other protective measures that they can take, the physical distancing, washing hands, avoiding large events, if none of that is taken, then we can expect that we're going to continue on this path, Hoyer said. We're seeing many more people in the hospitals than we've ever had before. Hoyer said with with Delta variant, the surge has been different, with case count date in an almost vertical line upward as compared to the steady upward trend earlier in the year. Quote, the really concerning piece is that people who are entering the hospital are younger, Hoyer said. The people who are dying are younger. According to Idaho Department of Health and Welfare, 93 Idahoans under the age of 50 have died from COVID-19. The Idaho Department of Health and Welfare model predicts 30,000 new cases per week in Idaho by mid-October. According to Idaho Department of Health and Welfare, nine Idahoans in the Panhandle Health District died from COVID-19 over the weekend, with three deaths in Kootenai County. That brings the death count to 439 in the district, 298 in Kootenai County. The number of COVID-19 cases among Cotney Health went down by two patients over the weekend to 109. However, the number of COVID-19 patients requiring critical care went up by six patients to 43. Since the beginning of most recent surge in mid-August, 97% of patients hospitalized for COVID-19 at Cotney Health were unvaccinated. I'm just going to read that again. Since the beginning of the most recent surge in mid-August, 97% of patients hospitalized for COVID-19 at Cotney Health were unvaccinated. According to Johns Hopkins University, only 44.79% uh, of Idahoans are vaccinated, one of the lowest vaccination rates in the country. Pfizer announced Monday that it is that its COVID-19 vaccine is effective for children as young as five and will seek FDA approval by the end of the month. Kootenai Health reports that it has not admitted any patients for adverse ad- reactions due to the COVID-19 vaccines. Boom. The hospital normally has 330 beds operating at 80% capacity. On August 20th, hospital leaders decided to convert largest conference rooms in a COVID-19 patient care center accommodating up to 22 patients due to the rapid increase in hospitalization due to COVID-19. On September 9th, a team of 20 healthcare professionals from the Department of Defense arrived at Kootenai Health to help with COVID-19 patients. The hospital continues to operate under crisis standards of care, meaning resources are stretched thin and patients can no longer expect the level of care they would receive under normal circumstances. So we'll try not to retread on this. Um, one of the things I do, we are, we are, if anything, but very fair and accurate and balanced on all of this kind of stuff. We just go where the facts are. Um, first off, I'll address in the beginning, you know, the talking about the, the, the issue with processing all these cases. Um, 
while I definitely don't doubt that all the cases that they have processed and gone through are I, I for I don't doubt their numbers for a second. Everything that they have cataloged is correct. Josh, we've we've talked about this before on the show. We're definitely at the point of public transmission where there are people that just aren't reporting when they've got COVID. Um, so while while these numbers are, I believe every single one of them is a true and accurate report. For every one of these, there's got to be at least five or six that just weren't reported to Panhandle Health. Yeah. So it's it's hard to it's it's nothing that they can do. You know, like they they can only process the cases that are brought to them. But I would I would argue that. You know, if if you're looking at total cases reported, it's higher than yeah. what this actually in reality, it's higher than what this actually is instead of what they're getting because people just don't. I mean, I I was that can, was on me. Can I, anyone explain this to me? Go go ahead. Okay, there are a large swath of people that do not trust the science behind the vaccine. Correct? That's what we're hearing, right? Uh, that's a that's the logical excuse behind it. Yes. Why would you go to a doctor then when you're sick if you don't trust the science behind a vaccine? Why would you trust? a doctor to give you medical advice on something like this. If like, why would you go to the hospital? Right. Like if you're that bad, why are you going to the hospital? Right. Why aren't you just sitting at home and well, and, like, and honestly, this has been, it's, it, it's a bad situation because honestly, even before we came into the pandemic, we were swept up with a, there was a mass of misinformation on vaccines even before the pandemic, just in general. It wasn't even the COVID vaccine. It was, I understand it's a different circumstance, but you remember, remember there before, still remember before the pandemic, anti-vaxxers, yeah, yeah, yeah right. It, the vaccines cause autism and, which, you know, other, which, still which is, is still not accurate in any way, shape or form. Because at the end of the day, like what's worse, an autistic child or a dead child? Like, sure. And you hate autism. And that's, and that's assuming that it works. It does do that, which it which it right. doesn't. There is literally no evidence of that whatsoever. But there's always been this. I think what it comes down to is that it's scary. It's it's a needle. People don't like needles. People don't. It's it, it's the least invasive needle I've ever encountered uh, in my life. Regard regardless, though, you don't even actually know you're getting a shot, and it's done. Regardless, but so think about it for a second, though. Like how the the nefariousness of getting COVID or any disease or illness. Is, you know, an accidental, you know, you, you picked up something with your hand and you ate something and your hand had, you know, you shook hands with somebody earlier. That's, it's not nefarious and you can get sick with that. But the actual like idea, it's, it's, it's counterintuitive in your mind to think that, okay, I'm getting stabbed with something sharp that looks nefarious and evil. You know, syringes, syringes are rarely, it's, they're, they're always, you know, even when you're a kid, syringes are not something you look forward to. Um, in our, in our business, even taking Josh, this is a good question. I mean, if I, if I bring up the topic of syringes in our line of work with what we do, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Oh, you know, our, uh, our cold medicine guzzling. Correct. Our drug, our drug problem. Absolutely. So there's a lot of negative ideas around just, it's, it's a frightening thing. If you've had COVID, which I'm suspecting, a pretty significant amount of our population has mm-hmm. and had COVID not asymptomatic because more often than not, if you're asymptomatic, you probably didn't know you had it. Correct. But if you've had COVID like real COVID mm-hmm. and been tested and gotten the positive mm-hmm. test for it, mm-hmm. you know how miserable it is. Mm-hmm. And you know that the the night where you're laying there, not able to sleep because your lungs are full of, I've junk. got a 26 year old friend right now. That's on a, on a, uh, machine on oxygen on oxygen right now go get the shot 
It's it, in the long run, no matter how scared of needles you are. First off, this is barely a needle that you'll even recognize. Right. Second off, you it's will, safe. It's fine. Yeah. Like it, it really is put, just not put aside your, I don't like to be told what to do and just do it. And if there's a religious reason, do it because you love your neighbor. Cause I'm pretty sure that's in there somewhere. I, it's about, I mean, and to take it from a selfish perspective, you still want to, I'm, I'm getting annoyed with the resurgence of masks again. Yeah. I talked about, we've, I've mel- multiple, talked about this multiple times. Mm-hmm. It's, it's annoying. Like I don't want, I, my gym is, implements a mask now, regardless if I'm vaccinated or not. That's, that doesn't make any sense. I, ob- obviously I'm wearing it now just to protect people who are unvaccinated because it's, I'm going to be fine. Right. Now you're, now you're having to do the double duty. Mm-hmm. Yep. Makes no sense. All right, moving on. Jumping out of that now. Restore your smile, restore your confidence. Complete Dental Care delivers quality dental care and complete satisfaction with state-of-the-art technology. They guarantee a positive dental experience, bright smile, and restored confidence. Schedule your appointment today. Call 208-682-4540. Complete Dental Care is located at 418 West Cameron Avenue in Kellogg. Uh, To learn more, visit CompleteDentalCareNW.com. I didn't scroll down. I almost cut you off there. You did cut me off, but it's all right. Sorry about that. That happens from time to time. I pulled up. Okay, that's pretty good. Uh, Moses and News, Shoshone News Press headlines for September 21st. Josh, you've got the headline. Yes, no emergency levy for the Kellogg School District. Uh, the Kellogg School District Board of Trustees decided not to request emergency levy funds despite a surprising uptick in student po- students across the district. The unexpected growth of the student population had the Kellogg School District looking at its budgetary options for handling the growth, but decided not to go to the taxpayers. The student population is 10% higher this year than it was last year, a jump that can be attributed to a larger-than-normal kindergarten class and several new families moving into the district. District. This increase made the district eligible for an emergency levy where the district could have approved a, requ- approved a request and subsequently levied their district's constituents for over $700,000 without having to take the levy to any kind of vote. Uh, Kellogg School District Board Chairwoman Bonnie Farman said the decision to request emergency funds was considered an absolute last resort if no other solution could be found. Quote, the board tries to put students at the forefront of all decisions and the board asked for more information to be gathered before applying for the emergency levy, Farman said. This includes available space for classrooms, furniture, materials, staffing, and budgets. Since there were other measures that could be used to accommodate the increase in enrollment, the emergency levy option will not be used. According to new KSD superintendent Lance Pearson, there were some initial surprise around the district office about even looking into the process due to the fact that the district's enrollment numbers had not seen as much growth, had not seen much growth, and was more in a holding pattern of slow and steady decline. Quote, it's so nice to have a big number come up, Pearson said. I've worked in communities where the numbers are in a downward spiral and you can see the difference. In the long run, what it means next year is that we will receive more money from the state based on our numbers this year. While Farman was adamant that the decision not to request funds had nothing to do with the district's upcoming supplemental levy, for the taxpayers, it demonstrates a sign of it may demonstrate a sign of fiscal responsibility by the district that they were able to find the funds in their existing budget instead of immediately digging deeper into the pockets of their residents. The Kellogg School District has used the biannual supplemental levy to cover roughly 30% of their annual operating budget that isn't covered after the school receives its funding from the state. The current levy in place for $5.9 million over two years that enabled the school to operate in the condition it currently was without the possibility of adding any new programs. The next supplemental levy will be voted on in may of 2022 well 
It's interesting that Kellogg got so many new kids. Um, That's unprecedented. They, when they were, we were talking about it, and and Pearson, Lance Pearson said, "Yeah, it was funny. I, I popped my head into Angela, who's the district clerk's office. Popped my head into Angela's office and was like, do we even know how to do that? And and she was she was learning about how to do it because I mean, I graduated in two thousand seven, a class of about one hundred and twenty kids, and they have not even touched." that number it has been in sharp decline to the point that there were actually less than half Mm -hmm. of that size class that graduated this last year Mm -hmm. so with a new class of over 100 kindergartners they graduated 60 kids under 60 kids and they have 100 new students just in kindergarten so they increased 40 students in in one year shift that's nuts yeah that's absolutely nuts yeah well i mean Growth is growth sometimes. Growth is growth. All right, moving on. Wallace Home declared total loss after fire. I wrote this one. Despite a quick response by firefighters, little could be done to save a Wallace Home on Sunday from a fire that started in its basement. Shown County Fire District Number 1 Lieutenant Victor Malsum reports to the news press that the two-person crew at the Osborne Firehouse returned out to a report of smoke coming from residents at 115 River Street around 1.03 p.m. Lieutenant Malsum and other staffed uh, staff firefighter and the other staff firefighter rather were the first to arrive on scene six minutes after the call came out and immediately began laying hose lines quote when we showed up we had smoke pouring out of the eaves and the attic space up top not long after the initial response numerous other units from shown county fire district one two and the mullen volunteer fire department arrived to help carry out a mostly offensive firefighting attack to limit damage to the home as much as possible with the knowledge that no one was inside of the home the focus was then shifted to saving property and containing the flames to the original structure Based on where the smoke was coming from, crews had a difficult time at first determining the point of ignition. Quote, with the smoke rolling out from the top, it looked like an attic fire that extended down, coming to, fi- coming to find out that it was a basement fire that had gone into the walls, Malsum said. It started in the basement, burned for a while, then jumped into the walls, skipped the entire first floor, then jumped right up into the attic. Malsum contributes the fire's unique spread to the split-level multifamily dwelling's balloon frame, a common design type in Wallace where there are empty spaces built within the frame. By the end of the firefighting effort, primary burn damage had been relegated to the original structure, with only some secondary heat and water damage affecting the neighboring homes. While the historic home is still standing, the roof did cave into the second floor due to its structural integrity being compromised. As for what caused the initial fire in the basement, Malsum points to the home's dryer as the culprit, largely due to heavy wall charring found behind it. Quote, pending the completion of our investigation, we believe the cause to be an unintentional dryer fire, he said. The home's occupants just threw a load of laundry in and went to run errands. No injuries reported as a result of the incident, and Malsum would like to thank the assisting agencies for their help. Hmm. So, glad nobody was hurt. Sucks that... You know, one of those old homes in Wallace is now burnt to a crisp. But no, the response time on those has to be so ridiculously quick. Because I, six minutes. I mean, that from Osborne to Wallace, it's pretty good. Well, I mean, it just has to be because I mean, if one, if one, I mean, we saw it in Kellogg when the McConnell burned down. Yep. Embers floated all over and yep. caught other buildings that were ways away yep. on fire, and and they weren't even like necessarily old buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, in Wallace, like. Like there's a reason that a fire like the one in 1910 could happen, and it's not like the city's changed much of its <laughs> layout and design. And in fact, they've pretty much done everything in their power to not change that. Yeah. So, uh, one rogue house fire and uh, 
poof. It's so, and we've had fires in that area before. Um, in fact, two years before, I literally went to the house that's neighboring it. Um, it was interesting. I talked to Malcolm about that because this one, lots of smoke, lot of smoke, oh, yeah. but not a lot of flames. And that had mostly to do with how, again, the, the place's structure, it burned inside the walls. Yeah. Um, which is very strange. I, I I would like to talk to somebody who knows about architecture and balloon frames because um, that was a new that was a new term for me that I I just learned very recently. Well, that's gonna I think bring us into uh... what's happening. Uh, Watts, uh, this is brought to you by Watts Appliance has been providing incomparable customer service to the Southern Valley for over 50 years. Family owned and operated businesses, a wealth of knowledge regarding the appliances and the brands they sell. Whether you're in need of a new washing machine or have questions about refrigerators, Watts Appliance is ready to help. Visit wattsappliance.com or stop by and visit at 3 North Division Street in Pinehurst. And uh, we're going to step back in time 105 years, September 21st, 1916, the Wallace Miner. Uh, dueling headlines in this edition of the Wallace Miner. And, uh, Dueling headlines uh, specifically regarding the same topic. Uh, on the left side of the newspaper, it said Heckler Mining Company has $1 million to its credit in nine months of 1916. Uh, subhead uh, has paid a dividend every month for over a year. Let me load this up so I can see it. Uh, has paid a dividend every month for over 13 years. The total disbursement passes $5 million. Managers report for six months. On the right-hand side, Interstate Callahan paid $2 million in dividends in nine months of 916. Total dividends, dividends, total payments credited to the mine over $6 million. Company has no definite plans for new mill at uh, Enoville and outlet for the mine. Hmm. So the interstate Callahan was, uh, the mine that you would access by going, uh, very far up nine mile Creek. Okay. If I remember correctly, that we sounds right. Our tour. It is now the interstate Callahan is now the site of one of their, like a beautiful, massive flat repository, um, on top of a mountain. Like it's this giant developable flat site on top of a mountain. Um, and back in, uh, 1916, the interstate Callahan and the Hecla mining company were the two dueling companies, the heavyweights, mm -hmm. uh, the Bunker Hill Sullivan mining company, uh, was obviously right in the, the swing of things too. But at that point, Hecla mining company and the interstate Callahan with uh, $3 million of, uh, dividend profit sharing checks to its employees through nine months. It's pretty mm -hmm. incredible when mm -hmm. you adjust for inflation. Mm -hmm. uh, but that was what's happening, man. That was what's happening. What's happening. With fall in full swing and a definite chill in the air, don't forget to stop by McDonald's and grab something off the McCafe menu to keep you toasty warm. Whether you're in the mood for a caramel macchiato, a French vanilla latte, or a premium roast coffee, your locally owned and operated Kellogg McDonald's has got you covered. McDonald's is located at 820 West Cameron Avenue in Kellogg. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm loving it. That moves into Bonner County Daily Bee headlines for Saturday, uh, September 18th. Yeah, and that first headline, Cold Water Bypass on Fish and Games Radar. This is by Anissa Keith. Uh, coming out of Priest River, actually. A project aiming to lower the water temperature of Priest River by at least 4 degrees is set to be discussed this Wednesday. The Idaho Department of Fish and Game, along with a private contractor, will release results of a study looking at the feasibility of the proposed bypass and the effects it will have on Priest Lake, Priest River, and the area fish populations. The meeting is being held virtually 
virtually via Zoom at 6 p.m. on Wednesday. The Coldwater Bypass has been up for consideration for years. A former Idaho Fish and Game environmental biologist brought the project before the Idaho Lakes Commission in 2018. The goal of the project is to make Priest River more habitable for bull trout and other species. Currently, Priest River reaches a temperature about 70 degrees in the summer, too warm to support a trout fishery. Stocking efforts in the past were unsuccessful because bull trout and West Slope cutthroat need water temperatures below 65 degrees to thrive. The concept of a project is to create a tailwater type fishery, the first for the northwest corner of the state. A tailwater type fishery is typically found below a dam. Conditions in tailwater fisheries are more consistent than other types of fisheries, making them desirable for anglers in the colder months since they they don't often freeze over. The cold water bypass functions by diverting water from the lower, cooler depths of Priest Lake to the egress of the lake where it flows into Priest River. Cooler river temperatures are expected to create a more habitable, 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 habitable environment wouldn't it be inhabitable? Inhabitable would mean it's not habitable. No, that'd be... No, that'd be not habitable. Right. Yeah. Habitable and inhabitable. Yeah, you inhabit... We'll look it up. Okay. Uh, ha- ha- habitable I inhabit environment. something? Yeah. Mm. Uh, where fish can thrive in a more robust fish population, because uh, it would be inhospitable then. Mm, uh, a more robust fish population is expected to draw more anglers to the area, raising tourism revenue. It's like it's like how flammable and inflammable mean the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you are correct. Uh, uh, habitable, habitable, uh, and inhabitable mean the same thing. Gotcha. In addition to aiding bull trout. Conditions for other trout species will also improve, which could be used to market the river as a high-quality angling destination on par with the Coeur d'Alene and St. Joe Rivers. The Coeur d'Alene River generates $3.1 million in annual tourism revenue. We do. We do. <laughs> we do. And the St. Joe generates $4.1 million, according to Fish and Game estimates. Idaho Fish and Game is looking into potential environmental impacts the bypass could have on Priest Lake. The bypass concept is not expected to diminish the level of Priest Lake or greatly affect the section of water it could be diverted from called the hypo... Hypo... Limnian? The hypo... The hypolimium. As little as 4% of that layer of water could be directed into the river. We will be looking that word up, too. I've never seen that word in my life. Mm-hmm. So, kind of an interesting uh, situation there. I agree. That is uh, uh, interesting for sure. Hypolimnian. Hypolimnian, a lower layer of water in a stratified lake, typically cooler than the water above. I love learning new words. Hold on, we're going to... Hypolimnion. Interesting. Thanks, Google. Thank you, Google. All right, moving on. Sunday, September 19th. Lakeshore Drive Project scheduled to start soon. This is by Kaylin Lobsinger. Down at the as, Lakeshore Drive. That's a good song. I like that one. As one project is winding down, two others are set to wind up, Idaho Transportation Department officials said. Work on the Long Bridge Pedestrian Bridge work on the Long Bridge Pedestrian Bridge wrapped up on September 10th, and night work on the vehicular bridge was set to wrap up this week. Quote, other than that, the crews will paint the railing on the pedestrian path underneath the south end of the Long Bridge, which shouldn't affect access, Megan Jan's IDT, ITD public information officer said. Then we'll be all done with the Long Bridge. As the Long Bridge project winds down, two other projects, improvements at Lakeshore Drive and bumps on several U.S. 95 bridges in the Sandpoint area, are set to start, Jan said. 
The first, uh, the first phase of the improvement at Lakeshore Drive is, are expected to start in late September or early October, with work expected to take about two weeks. The project calls for a combination of acceleration lanes and U-turns. Lakeshore motorists would be routed into southbound traffic would be able to reverse course safely in a fairly short order via the U-turns. The first phase would include northbound and southbound acceleration lanes. The second phase, set in summer of 2022, would include U-turns at Lakeshore Drive and Bottle Bay Road, similar to those areas in use in Ponderay. Also included in the second phase of the project is a light at Sagal Road, which has been referred to as, quote, the only seven-lane roadway in North Idaho, with two lanes, four traffic lanes, and a center lane. Quote, generally drivers on US-95 can expect to have the same number of lanes, but plans currently call for flaggers to be stationed at Lakeshore Drive, Jan said. Our goal is also to keep at least one of the entrances for Smokehouse open at all times. Work is slated to start Monday to address bumps on US-95 bridges near Sandpoint, bridges to be repaired are the north end of the Long Bridge, the US-95 bridge over Sand Cree, and the bridge over Bridge Street. Jan said the bridge for the southbound US-95 off-ramp will not be addressed, and the south end of the Long Bridge will be addressed with the second phase of the Lakeshore Drive improvements. Quote, These bumps have formed as the approach slabs have settled on the south soils. Note that the bridges themselves aren't what is sinking, she said. To fix the bumps, Jan said crews will remove temporary pavement that has been applied all over the years, and then, and then drill and inject lightweight foam to lift the approaching slabs to their original positions at the same heights as the bridges. Repairs are expected to take three weeks, with crews scheduled to work from 8 p.m. to 5 a.m. While crews are working at night, US-95 will be reduced to one lane of traffic. All lanes expected to be open when crews aren't working, which includes Friday and Saturday nights, as well as during city events. Quote, Besides proving, providing for a safer travel surface, eliminating the bumps on the Sand Creek Byway opens up the possibility of adjusting the speed limit, Jan said. A traffic study in 2019 shows the need to increase the speed limit, but we need to ensure that it's the success of this repair project and collect input from city officials. I really just feel like they just need to have a crew mm -hmm. because it seems like they finish the round of repairs for the Long Bridge mm -hmm. and then they just go back to the other side and start the same. It does seem like again. it. Yeah. But that bridge is iconic. I'm glad that they're at least working. Well, it's on iconic it. and it's necessary. It is. It really is necessary. I'm not saying that it, there's it, no other way. There's no other way to get across. I mean, you could drive all the way around. You have to go to like all the way Priest River, Priest River, and okay, yeah, no, right. <laughs> um, unless there was another road through, sure. the, to, through the the east side there, right? But um, not that that would be an insult to that crew. Like if you were just part of the Long Bridge maintenance crew, mm -hmm. that seems like it would be a real job. Yeah, honestly, yeah. Um, moving ahead here, Tuesday, September twenty first. This is a cool story. Mm -hmm. Old Winchester rifle discovered in Lake. Uh, this is by Emily Bonsant, uh, and it's coming out of Sagal. Uh, and uh, I hope that I have this name right here. Tim Personius That's what I would wants say, to know how an old Winchester rifle ended up in Lake Ponderé off Sourdough Point. Uh, Personius found the old rifle in mid-July while he was checking his crawdad traps near the Sourdough Point Homeowners Association private island. Quote, I would never have seen it if I was swimming by because it was 20 to 25 feet down, said Personius. I was checking my trap and I just happened to look over and see the gun about six feet away. At first, Personius thought it was a child's toy gun, but once he brought it to the shore and felt the weight of the rifle, he knew it was the real thing. He went to post images of his find on 
on a few gun forums. Some of the gun experts on the forum said the rifle is more than likely an 1886 Winchester, known by gun historians as the gun that won the West. Mm -hmm. Winchester Repeating Arms Company made one of the world's first repeating rifles. The rifle that he found is very eroded and rust-encrusted. Personius said that uh, he's heard that at the turn of the century, people lived on a barge off Sourdough Point. When he did his snorkeling, he found other junk in the area where he expected people living on a barge or living on an island would do their dumping. How the rifle found its way into the water, he does not know. Personius noted that the lake was not deep enough near the shore and water level changes from the season. The particular area he found the rifle was just past the buoy line, he said before pointing out a large rock just below the water's surface. You probably could have walked out to that rock, and if you were trying to get rid of the gun and slung it out there, that's about where I found it. With the water level of the current day, said Personius, it's doubtful that someone could throw that far, but at lower water, the throw would be much minimal, much more minimal. Uh, the rifle may have been forgotten, but the location it was found is still accessible, said Personius. He notes that its location was near the shore and not in the middle of Pondere River. He also pointed out the expense of the gun and said he doubted the likelihood that anyone would leave it behind. While he showed the rifle to a Marine deputy who lives in the area, in the area, Personius was told deputies had no professional interest due to its age and obviously not being a part of an existing case. Quote, I just wondered if there isn't somebody who's still around who does know or has heard of something related to a missing rifle, said Personius. He has worked with cast iron restoration in the past and hopes to get off some of the uh, get some get some of the coercion off of it. It is possible that one day he will get a serial number, he said. Winchester repeating arm still makes the lever action 1886 model. Personius's found rifle will have to go through much more testing before it can be dated. He is looking for any information anyone may have on the rifle. That's cool. Oh, I'm sure the person's going to get a lot of responses on that. There's yeah. going to be a lot of people coming out of the woodwork that would love to hear about that. Yeah. Yep. Josh, that's it. Did it. We got through the episode. Yeah. Another one in the books. You know, just pushing right along, man. We are. That's what we, we are. Do. Moving right along. Well, once again, we'd like to thank the Wallace Chamber of Commerce and Fall for History event. Make sure not to miss the 2021 Fall for History uh, Festival. This year's Fall for History Festival in Wallace includes a hop-on, hop-off bus tour of local historical sites, a guided bus tour of Burke, Burke rather, and an upstairs apartment tour. With many mining-themed events, this year's festival will be fun for everyone. Awesome. All right, everybody. Thanks again for listening in. We really appreciate it. Please like, comment, and share all of our stuff on social media. If you're interested in the stories we talked about today or the ones we did not, check us out at www.coeurdelainepress.com, shoshonenewspress.com, bonnerkennedydaybee.com, or thebonnersferryherald.com. If you listen to us on a podcatcher, please subscribe and or like and or follow us so you can get every episode as soon as it comes out. And please, please, please go to the North Idaho Now Facebook page and give us a like or a follow so you can uh, see all the fun stuff that we like to post. Plus, yeah. you'll know when every episode comes out, too. Exactly. Yep. All right, everybody. Thanks again for listening in, and we'll see you on Friday. Bye-bye.